We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD, your buddy that uh, joins you early in the mornings, eleven o'clock to uh, to review yesterday's slate, which we, we have some stuff to talk about. Talk maybe a little bit about today's slate. We got we got a bunch of split. We got DraftKings is including like like five games from like six thirty, and then FanDuel is so like depending on which site you play. It's a, it's either a really big slate or just a, kind of a a normal I don't know eight game slate the way it is but we'll talk about it a little and uh, as usual answering all your strategy questions in the chat I see you guys in there I see uh, let's see Max Coach Daniel Hutchins Apocalypse Matt Mears Card Fan Chandler Cannon Suki Singh Superman the Man of Steel is here Travis Ratliff Frederick Dute Justin Sports Gerald Miller. So if you have any questions, I, I don't I don't mind going off on tangents. You know me, and if and if I do, hit that thumbs up button. Give me the thummy thumbs. I got the apple juice here. Still the brand name stuff. Still still the brand name Minute made apple juice. Uh, I don't mind the mots. It's just that I see this is ten fluid ounces, and the mots little mots bottles are eight fluid ounces. So I don't know. I, does that make these taste better? I don't know. It seems like it. Seems like with the, when I get the mots, it seems like I don't have enough apple juice. It's only a two ounce difference, yet it, it, it makes it it makes it feel like it's more substantive. I don't know. I don't know what's it up with the apple juice, but hit that thumbs up button. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. 
hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got, I think, t- I think tonight we're doing uh, free crunch time. I think I have no idea. I, I heard, I heard the rumblings of that because because we got we got MLB grinders live. We got NBA grinders live, and then because of all the, the we got a DK slate, MLB slate locks at six thirty or so. Then FanDuel locks at seven oh five, and then NBA locks on both sites at seven thirty. So I think that just it's, if you tune if you start tuning in at like uh, like four o'clock or so on the YouTube channel, I think it's just going to be basically run. It's going to be like three and a half hours, like just straight, just straight shots. So if you if you did tune in, tune into the YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel. Uh, got a bunch of people. I don't know. I don't know who's on the schedule. Cardi may be on. Dean may be on. People may be on. I don't know. Someone's on the schedule. It'll be fine later today. But uh, but let's let's talk about let's talk about yesterday. Let's talk about yesterday. Let's see anything going on in the YouTube chat. Uh, Matt Neer said, notice a lot of pros in the three dollar moonshot on DK last night. Did DK waive the entry fee limitation for the slate? No. As long as it's over a twenty five thousand dollar prize pool, those limitations don't don't matter anymore. You have to read the fine print, right? So like the moonshot yesterday, yeah, I was I was in that. I, I, I had twenty lineups into that. I had, I had eighty lineups in the rally cap, the eight dollar one. I didn't play on FanDuel last night for GPP. I played on DraftKings. I told you that yesterday, right? Because FanDuel, FanDuel's payout structures are worse than DraftKings. But if I'm going to play, I in MLB, I I, I don't want to play like ten lineups. I'm going to play 50, 60, 80. And when it's an eighteen dollar entry fee, that that adds up. On FanDuel, then they have $5 or whatever. Okay, I'm, I'm playing the same style. I'm still playing large field GPPs. So I'm going to be building similar types of lineups, and I'm going for broke, going for first place. So I'd rather it be cheaper, right? So that's why I played on FanDuel. But last night, played on Dra- DraftKings. Uh, yesterday was interesting. Yesterday, uh, I thought there were very clear ways to get leverage. Yesterday, yesterday was the easiest... If you wanted to get leverage yesterday, reasonably, yesterday was easy, okay? Because let's take a look at the pitchers, okay? This was not, it it appeared to be a good pitching slate, but it really wasn't, okay? So we had, Musgrove was the highest, was the most expensive pitcher, okay? And rightfully so. He was the best pitcher on the slate. And then we had guys like Bundy, Gausman, Duffy, Flaherty, May, Woodruff. I mean, that first, that top half of pitcher, these these are decent names. These aren't necessarily aces, but they're good. Yeah, they're they're good. They're good pitchers. And then we have some like crappy pitchers, right? Right. Arahara, I mean, he did well. Fleming, Chase Anderson, Joe Ross, like guys that you're most likely not gonna play. I mean, you could tell. Look at the ownership. Five percent, two percent, one percent, one percent, one percent. But the thing is, is that a lot of the pitchers, the SP2s especially, obviously you have to play two pitchers. It's much different than FanDuel. You play Musgrove on FanDuel, it's like, okay, that's fine. So I play a lot of Musgrove on, on DraftKings as my SP1. But that SP2 position between Bundy, Gausman, and Duffy, I said, I mean, that was the clear top portion of the pitching pool. I played a ton of Flaherty and Woodruff, obviously to get different. But when you when when you look at the historical range of outcomes for Dylan Bundy, Kevin Gausman, and Danny Duffy, they're wide. 
Okay, these are wide range of outcomes pitchers. These are high variance pitchers. Dylan Bundy is the type that he could strike out 11. He could also give up 11. Similar to Gausman, similar to Duffy. Bundy's the most, the highest variance. But Gausman and Duffy, if they get if they get blown up, I'm not surprised. So with so many people going to Bundy at 48% ownership, I didn't see, I, I thought stacking the Rangers, Texas against him, playing Texas stacks and stuff, even three mans or whatever, clear leverage opportunity. And you could say the same thing, Gausman, with the Phillies and Duffy with the, the, the Rays. Now the Rangers got the Bundy, eventually got the Bundy. Gausman had a good outing. The Phillies, the Phillies didn't do much. And the Rays really didn't do much. Not until the end, not until Duffy was out of the game. But as far as clear leverage opportunities, you had multiple pitchers that were 28, 28, 48% owned that they could do extremely well or extremely badly. Now, the Cardinals, who obviously you needed yesterday, the Cardinals were the ones that went off. Joe Ross is not a good pitcher. I know he's, he's past what started to. He's looked good. So that's why that many people play Joe Ross. The thing is, is that in determining what like what stack, what teams I'm targeting. Now, I still played some Cardinals. I was more inclined to play more Texas. I was more inclined to play more Philly, Phillies. I was more inclined to play more Rays than play the Cardinals purely because of the pitching ownership. It's not like I didn't like the Cardinals. Joe Ross sucks. I played plenty of Paul DeJong. I played I played Cardinals. I, I had I I uh Williams who who had 21 points at the bottom of their order. I had a, I, had a, I had a bunch of lineups with him in it or Carlson. I I I I, I had Cardinals lineups. But not that many of them. But the main reason is like, do I want to have Cardinals lineups or would I prefer to have Rays, Phillies, Rangers lineups? The difference to me, when I looking at the projections, the projections for point per dollar wise for Texas was good because it's a high variance spot. You just have to realize that it's going to come off of home runs. It's going to come off of big plays, not like and Dylan Bunny's not giving up 14 hits dink and dunk, you know, that type of thing. It's going to be, he gives up three or four home runs or he has a good game. The Phillies had a a similar enough ceiling to the Cardinals. The Rays, a little bit less so, but the the amount of relative value that I get from having the stack against a 28%, 28 or 48% on pitcher makes up, makes up for that. Why, why do I, why do I want the Cardinals as much? Because, only 5% of the field have Joe Ross. So when the Cardinals do well, all those Joe Ross lineups start coming down. That's the, that's that's what relative value is. And you can get it two ways in MLB DFS by obviously having a stack that no one else has, not enough a lot of the field has, or on top of it, having players that are negatively correlated to chalky players, players that have ownership. So the, the Rangers, like I was under on Bundy. I don't know if we can, can we even see my, it's hard to study me because I play all uniques. So I had 20 in the moonshot and 80 in the rally cap. So I don't know which 80, I don't, I don't even know which 80. Let's see. Am I in here? I should be in here. Here at Blender. Let me go to ownership. 
Blender head. I did better in the moonshot. I had one. I had one line up in twelfth in the moonshot. Take a look at me. My eighty. All these other guys have it. Have two. Have uh, one hundred and fifty. Right. See, look, Dylan Bunny, two point five percent. That's what I had out of my eighty lineups. If you take a look, I still had Gausman, still Duffy, but I primarily had Flaherty. I had Musgrove, Flaherty, Woodruff. Didn't play. Didn't didn't play Musgrove and Woodruff in the same lineup. They were in the same game on a smaller slate. Didn't want to have one, you know, negatively correlated wins. Because only one could get the win. So you can take a look here. Let me take a look at, see, Joey Gallo, Rangers, 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 Calhoun, Rangers, Dahl, Rangers, then Phillies, Dodgers catcher. I mean, I had Dodgers. I had everyone. I, I mean, I had, I had everyone to some extent. I mean, look, I could scroll all the way down. You know, I've Justin Williams in a lineup. Or two lineups. Yeah, no, this is one lineup. In this contest, I think I had a, in a couple of more lineups in the moonshot. You can see here, that's exactly what that's exactly what I attempted to do. I take a look at Bundy's ownership. And I go, 48 per, he's going to be the highest owned player on the slate. And he's a high variance pitcher. What's the easiest pass for me to get first place? That's what I'm thinking of. What's the easiest way for me to get there? Well, for Bundy to get to, well, 7.85 ain't going to cut it. Half the field's dead, pretty much. Now that half the field's dead, now with Bundy, if Bundy's dead, how does he die? He dies because the Rangers get there, to some extent. I'm not playing all five mans. I'm playing some four mans. I'm playing Rangers as one-offs in other lineups. That's the easiest way for, for me to get there. Now, is Dylan Bundy an ace? Is he can, is he someone that could give up eight runs on his own in the in four innings? Yes, because that's the question. Like you could have a high owned pitcher and be like, out of all the pitchers on the slate, is he someone that's that can do that? Like I looked at Musgrove against the the horrible Brewers lineup without Yelich and without Kane and without I mean like they're, they're missing people. Like who's yeah yeah you're right Musgrove is thirty nine percent owned you could you have stacked the Brewers against him sure okay you could but projection wise the difference between the Rangers and the Brewers were like night and day you're giving up so much projection for doing that it's like well I could get just as much leverage with the Rangers as I can with the Padres with the, with the Brewers against Musgrove so why why am I stacking against my, I have to play a pitcher. Right? I can't just keep stacking against the chalk and then play what? What do I'm going to play uh, just uh, the Fleming and, say, you know, two two crappy pitchers on this Chase Anderson and Fleming. And I'm going to stack against the, you don't have to. So Dylan Bundy was a much better opportunity to me than Musgrove. And it was a slightly better opportunity than Duffy and, and uh, Gausman because they were going to be less owned. 28% owned on a six game slate. He's still pretty owned for a pitcher, but not as owned as Dylan Bundy. Now, did it get there? No. Adolis Garcia, yeah, he was the only guy worth the crap on the on the Rangers, even though they scored like six runs or something. It was mostly dink and dunks. It wasn't, you know, the stack didn't get there. But the mentality, thinking in that in those terms, what is the easiest for, way for me to get first place 
on the slate? What's the most amount of relative? Where can I find the most amount of relative value? Now, on the larger slates, there's less there's less of an opportunity to see very clear and obvious spots for 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 leverage. Does it mean it gets there? No, I'm just saying that define those opportunities. We have a 13 game slate today. Oh, the the Machalkiest pitcher may be 23% owned. I'm going to stack against him. It's like, how much relative value are you getting on a 13-game slate against a 23% owned pitcher? Is it that much of a priority? You could find 26 teams on the slate. You could find some 3% owned stack that isn't even, who cares who who they're up against? There's way more options. And a six-game slate aren't as many. So if you played a lineup that was like Bundy, the Angels, Paul DeJong, like if you played that type of lineup with Will Smith at catcher and Paul DeJong at shortstop, like that's, how do you expect to win with that? Like that's a cash lineup. That's a cash lineup with a stack, right? If you played Trout, Otani, Upton, I mean, if you look, look at the look at the, the, the ownership, play Brandon Belt as a one-off, if you did that, like I don't, Yes, you're playing the best plays, but how how do you how do you win first place with that? You have to you have to run like God. You have to run perfect, and even then, if you run perfect, maybe you even duplicated at that point, right? If you played Walsh, Pollock, Turner, if your lineup looked, if your lineup contained the players that were from like this fifteen percent range, right down over here, all the way up, if that oh, I had a lineup that looked like that. You, you played a double up lineup. And that could have been an angel stack, right? An angel stack, a Dodger stack, even. If you played Betts, Pollock, Turner, Smith, right? Then you played like Brandon Belt as a one-off, and then you, you jammed in like Upton or something as a one-off. Or like, And you played Bundy and Musgrove. The thing is, is that I could I could download the CSV of this, this contest and find lineups that look like that. Like tons of them that look like that. Because they project well. Those are the best plays. I, I, I completely agree. They're the best plays. But then they don't have the best shot at winning first place. They don't. The best shot at winning first place is by finding a way to exploit those lineups. What's the best way to exploit those lineups? A lot of times it's that starting pitcher. Not, not by taking the pitcher, not by playing Arahara against the Chalk Angel stack. Like, yes, that that, that is leverage. There's less lineups that contain five angels than they do that contain one Dylan Bundy, one starting pitcher. So I wanted to show you this in practice. And same thing for Duffy. Like if you want to play the Rays against Duffy or the Phillies, that's that's exactly what I did. I played more Rangers. I have Rays. I have Rays in here. Look, I have Margot. Right. I had a bunch of stuff. Like the Rays were barely owned. Rosarina, there's that. But mostly, this these were mostly Rangers, Phillies types lineups. So I have way more. Like, look, Mickey Moniak. Like, who played him? He got zero points. Nate Lowe had 10, okay, decently. I had some Royals in there as well. I mean, like, anything to get off the end. Look at, look at how little angels I had. 10%, 16%. If you take a look, we, we sort this by field percentage. Look how much yellow is in here. 
which is like slightly under the underfield. Doesn't mean I have none of them, much less. And we could see even like Forsaken, similar type of thing. Micah J, very similar. Larry Odo. And then, yeah, he, he did go with a pl- plenty of Bundy, but he was under on a lot, a lot of these guys. Look, look, look at all, look at Will Smith, 3%, 2% belt, Upton, 6%, Turner, 0%, Walsh, 0.67%. Yeah, he's getting different with the bats. So he's finding leverage the other way around. Oh, I'll just play Chalk Bundy and then get different elsewhere. I went the other way. I said, I'm going to fade Chalk Bundy, stack against him, and that's how I'm going to be different. Two perfectly, perfectly sound ideas. The complete opposites of one another, but they achieve the same thing in a lineup. Most of the sharper players faded the Angel stacks. Or went under, went under. They had they still had played 150 lineups, still probably had 10 Angel stacks. Still had them in the one-offs in lineups. But we have Otani and Trout at 34 and 30% owned. They're batters like anything else. They both had zeros. So look how many lineups died yesterday. 48% of lineups died with Bundy. 34% with Otani. 30% with Trout. Now, obviously, there's some, there are a lot of lineups that have Otani and Trout. There's a lot of lineups that have Bundy, Otani, and Trout. If you had Bundy, Otani, and Trout in your lineup, your lineup is dead. That could have, that could have been, I mean, I, I could download the CSV and see. A Bundy Otani Trout lineup, I think, is at least ten percent of the lineups in the contest, if not more. Dead. When two percent don't guys die and put up a zero, only a few lineups, or you, you eliminate them from first place. But look how many lineups you eliminate from first place by not playing the chalk bats, not playing the chalk pitcher. Does that work out every time? No, of course not. They're they're chalk for a reason. They're the best players. Baseball is very high variance. So finding the easiest path to first place. When you play these large field GPPs, that's what that's what you should be focused on. What is the field doing? Most people start with, who do I think is going to do well? I don't care about that. I want to know, what is the field doing? What are my opponents doing? How can I exploit that? Does it matter what happens that night's game? No. Who is over-owned? What stacks are over-owned? What pitchers are over-owned? They can still be the best pitchers, but just still be over-owned. Is there any way for me to take advantage of that? I care more about who's going to be over-owned than who's going to be under-owned. Once you determine who's over-owned, then it's, uh, whoever's not over-owned has to be under-owned. Not complicated. I mean, this is not like new. It's stuff I say all the time. You turn it, you turn into this show so, so I can reiterate the same points over and over again. We get new people. They need to learn. Looking up at the YouTube chat. Let's see. Let's see. Justin Sports asks, can you run through really quick what a solid in the money rate is again? Don't worry about in the money rate. Who cares? You care about ROI. For cash, in the money is a win rate. So yeah, if you're playing like head-to-heads or whatever, you need to be over 55% probably, right? Because the rake is 10% on most head-to-heads, 9 to 11%. 
So yes, so in the money, you should be over it to be profitable. You'd have to be over fifty five percent for GPP. The Indy Monday rate, who cares? My ITMs in baseball are low, 23, 22. But just cashing in the money doesn't do you anything. You care about ROI. Coming in first once and never cashing any of your entries for two months is better. So to me, I I judge more of my my GPP play by how many lineups I can get into the top half a percent or whatever in a tournament, not in the money. I don't care about minimum cashing in GPPs. You can't be sustainable minimum cashing in GPPs. You have to win. You have to get some top five, at least. Top three to be profitable. In the large field stuff, at least. Rob B says, hey, Blender, got my first MME takedown since my course. Oh, good. Dollar UFC, 47,000 people. Dollar and dollar. Oh, okay. Must have had Mal Kuhn. I had Mal Kuhn. Right, Al Hassan was chalk. It was the same concept. I was just talking about MME, MME, MMA over the weekend. The highest owned fighter is a knockout artist. Al Razak Hassan or whatever his name is. He's going up again. He was like a minus 300 favorite or something. He was like 45 plus percent owned. He was like he's a knockout artist, which means he, that, that's why people, that's why people, that, he's going to finish him in the first round, get 100 plus points. Like, well, what? How many? How many percentages of the time is that not going to happen? <clears throat> and especially when it comes to like those types of fighters, like, do they have the tank for a second or third round? Are they going to have enough strength? Who knows? So I'm like, I'll, I'll play a bunch of Malcoon. I still played. I played. I played both fighters. It's not like I didn't play any Al Hassan. It's like, well, how do you play Malcoon? I played like 15 him in like 15 percent of my lineups. Because his win his win odds were better than his ownership. And that's just that just that decision. He had like a 23% chance of winning a decision. He was only going to be like 13% owned. So I'm playing. He was like he was 6,800. He was he was cheap. Doesn't a decision win would have paid off his salary. And he's he's negatively correlated with the highest owned fighter on the slate. Relative value city. There you go. There's all the leverage you need. If he wins, half the lineups in the in the, in the contest die. So play him. Well, did you think he was going to win? No, I had no idea. I've never heard of these people before. I have no clue. I don't even know what these people look like until I watch it on, on TV. That's the easiest path to first place. That's what I'm all I'm looking for. What are the easier paths to first place? Uh, Michael Dampier asks, they didn't repeat the $8 MME, uh, the 150 max on DraftKings. Are you doing MME in the $18 gyro bowl today? No, I'm on FanDuel today. I'll be on DraftKings when they keep the price down on the main GPP. Other than that, I'll be on, on, on FanDuel. Obviously, if I'm on DraftKings, I can actually bring it up in results DB. I haven't been able to do that for the past two or three weeks for MLB because I've been on FanDuel and we don't we don't get the contest download CSVs for them. Nate Bradshaw, for tonight, are you less likely to use three-man stacks in seven-inning games 
and reserve those hitters for one-offs, I'm more likely to not use any of the players in the seven inning games. Pitchers, I don't mind the pitchers. Pitchers can get a, a, a cheap, complete game because the pitchers may only pitch five, six innings anyway. So who cares? But like a seven inning game, you're like, you're like, you're, you're knocking off like one at bat from like everyone. Some two. So obviously the projections will be lower on those hitters. So I'm less likely to use them at all. The only reason I would use players from the seven inning game, hitters from the seven inning games, is if for some reason they're underpriced and underowned. But typically they're not. They're still priced as if it's not a seven in game. If we if we took, if a typical batter has a plate appearance expectation of four, and now they're only going to get three at bats on average, I want a 25% discount on their salary. I want the $4,000 hitter to be only $3,000. I want the $6,000 hitter to be $4,500. If, if it was Mike Trout or Mookie Betts or one of those guys, that's normally $6,000. It's like, oh, they're playing a seven inning game today, and they're forty five hundred. Okay, okay. Now, now, we, now, at least we could start talking to some extent. The ceiling is going to be capped, though. Remember, they don't get the extra at bat. But at least from a median perspective, it would be on par. But no, you don't see that. They'll be priced at fifty eight hundred or something, and be like, what? You could you could run a thousand lineups and not get them in, right? Just running optimals, you wouldn't even get them. It's like, why am I playing them? But they'll be two percent down. Is two maybe two percent down is too much? So no, I lean towards let other people play play the the game that can go. And when everyone in both orders has you know, especially the home team, the home team is a leading. Like you're you're losing you're losing you're losing two innings, three innings. To me, those seven inning games. Huh? If if hey, if the seven inning game. When team goes for 14 runs, then, then I just lose that slate, right? Then just just the way it is. Yaz's army says, which correctly says, seems like pitching is less variant than hitters, which is true. I've been trying to get leverage through hitters than pitching so far. It worked well. Is this a sound long-term strategy? Yes. Why are pitchers less variant than hitters? It's because of sample size. Sample size even in just one game. Hitters are varying because they're going to be up, what, four times? That that's how, that's how many, that's it. You get four chances, three chances, five chances. What happens if they line, it's a line, and it goes right, right to the shortstop. Three feet over, that would have been a double. So three feet made the difference of five points. We, we see all the time. Hey, you, you watch, shot, it's all, it's going, it's going. And someone catches it at the wall. Four or five feet more, that's a home run. That's 14 points. The difference between 14 and zero is that. Pitchers, they're going to pitch 100 pitches, right? They're going to pitch 90 pitches. They're going to pitch several innings. Less bad. They can make a mistake, yes. So, oh, they give up a homer. Oh, okay. But typically the good pitchers, are good in general. The bad pitchers are bad in general. And over the course of five or six innings, that's much different. A hundred pitches is much different than four at bats. So the scope of the sample size makes pitching 
less varied. Still high variance. Still higher variance than like NBA players that have, you know, shots and they're going to have possessions. They're going to have 200 plus possessions in the game. Back and forth, back and forth. Earning points here, rebound there, assist there, bucket, you know, much less varied. Pitchers, less varied than hitters, but still still high variance. Let's see. Let's go through the YouTube chat. Frederick Duke, are three, five, ten-man 20s considered, quote, cash games? You could discuss line of construction strategies from those size tournaments. Three mans are like triple ups, and five mans are like quintuple ups, and ten mans are like boosters. Don't use terms like cash games or GP. They don't mean anything. Those are just general terms that have been made up from ten years ago in DFS. What's is is a three man a cash game? Is a five man a cat? No, it's a three man is a three man, and a five man is a five man. Is a double up different than a triple up? Of course it is. Now, can you play the same lineup that you play in double-ups in a triple-up? Yeah, of course you can. Does, doesn't make it the same game. The payouts are different, obviously. The top third place instead of the top half. The top 10% place. Not, you don't get any different from first to 10th or whatever. It's all the same up there. It's the same thing. How much leverage do you need for the, to place in that spot? That's what you do. They're all that 100 man. The difference between a 100 man contest and a 130 man contest. Is there a difference? Of course there is. There's 30 more entries. What's the difference between a 178 entry contest and a 179 entry contest? There is a difference. There's one extra entry. Now, does that one extra entry make any like strategic decisions that you do? Oh, well, now there's 179. I got to do something else. No. So the same, that line of like, how big is a big contest? A small field is 500 or below. So if it's 700, that means you play risky as hell. Like, no. The difference between 500 entries and 700 entries and 1,000 entries and 1,200 entries and 1,500 entries and 70,000 entries and 75,000, they're all all relative to one another. So you, you play the lineup construction strategy you would for any any field size for that for that size. This is what I talked about yesterday. You're thinking too linearly. You're thinking way too linearly. You're playing double ups. Play the highest medium projected lineup. There you go. You're done. If you, if you trust your projections, that's what it should be. Something like that. Something with a good floor ceiling combination. Maybe. Maybe not the top medium projected lineup, but one of them. Oh, you're playing triple ups. It's like, well, now you care a little bit more about, about ceiling. You have to come in the top third. Should you play the highest on pitcher? Maybe you just say, ah, there's three pitchers that are all about equal, but everyone's playing this guy. And you go, well, I'll just play the other two because it's close enough. And then you just you plug in the rest. So you get you give yourself a little leverage. But it's a triple up. Isn't it cash games? It's like, yeah, but you get to have to get a higher score. Quintuple ups, boosters. You're treating it just like a GPP, other than the fact that it's not as it's not important to come in first place. You just have to come in, you know, a hundred man booster or whatever. 
As long as I come in the top 10, I got 10x my money. Okay, so you don't have to worry about, that, about coming in first. You just have to worry about coming in 10th. 100 man contest, that's a double up or a 50 50. What gets me to 50th? That's all that matters. Triple up, what gets me to 30th? Can double up, what gets me to 20th? So you're still thinking just like a G, just like you would build GPP lineups. You just don't have to worry about win equity. You don't have to worry about first place win equity. You don't care. What gets me to 20th? Well, what gets you to 20th in a 100 man can double up is different than gets you to 50th in a, in a 50-50. So that's how you should be thinking about it. Card fan says in RG Discord, I made the comment about cash games that you play lineups that you would not play in cash if you were not investing. Can you expand on what you would do if making a cash lineup? I would try to make a lineup that has a high floor ceiling combination and I would lean towards players that were already going to be owned. So, for instance, yesterday, yesterday at DraftKings cash games, if you played the bat optimal, you played uh, Musgrove and Duffy. So, the bat optimal yesterday, let me take a look. I have it in my past. Let me look at my phone. There's how little I remember. I, I don't know. Recent results. So let's take a look. So the bad optimal yesterday, which is the highest projected median lineup, was Musgrove, Duffy, Will Smith, Otani, Rengifo, Longoria, Dijon, Trout, Upton, Pollock. Now, as long as you have Dijon, Upton, and not Bundy, I cashed everywhere. Had I been building my lineup, I would have played Bundy over Duffy. Bundy in I'm in the I'm in a $50 double up in a large hundred and something whatever double up. Bundy was 67% owned. Okay. Duffy was 30% owned. Now remember, I'm in double ups. My concern isn't leverage. Right? Well, if I play Duffy and Bundy dies, you'll let that type of stuff. No. The projection difference between Duffy and Bundy was minimal. Very small. The bat had Duffy slightly higher than Bundy. Other projection systems had Bundy slightly higher than Duffy. That's why why Bundy was more owned. Do I want to rely on that difference to to, to make my cash games? Now, it worked out for me yesterday. But if they're close enough, they're close enough in price. One one seventy seven hundred and one seven thousand. Why I should be playing Bundy in cash games? That would be the the lower variance choice when things are about equal. If we ran optimal lineups from the bat yesterday, and you locked in Bundy and ran it, the difference between the Bundy lineup and the Duff the the top lineup had Duffy at whatever score. Meaning wise, the Bundy lineup was like a point lower. That's it, a point out of a hundred plus points. And I know that, and I knew that Bundy would be the chalk in double ups, at least in the contests that I play, higher stakes. 
contests. Like I knew, I knew Will Smith was going to be the catcher chalk. I knew Dijon for the most part was going to be chalky. Longoria, I knew was not going to be chalky at third base. I knew Trout would be the payup option. I knew Pollock would be the cheap guy. I I knew what my opponents were doing. Enough so. Who's going to be what the chalk-ish type of construction is going to be? Now, if I'm playing cash games, playing cash games, I would make that assessment and then decide, would I rather take, even though my projections say that this is the top lineup, meeting-wise, it's still baseball. It's still high variance. So from a day-to-day basis, I would make the choice of, well, if these two, if this is close enough, if this, if my Duffy lineup and my Bundy lineup are very close, let me at least side with the lineup that doesn't get me killed if I'm wrong. And if I, if I say, no, I want to stick with the Duffy lineup, then I play more triple ups, play more quintuple ups. Cause these Bundy lineups, you're going to see in those contests, but at least in the triple ups and the quintuple ups, you get three X and five X. So if Bundy dies, that leverage gets you up into those top 30, top 20. You get rewarded more for being different. You don't need, you still don't need first place equity. You don't need to care about first place in and of itself. Because first through 20, it gets paid the same amount. But if you can make a change that different, get rewarded for it. In the double up, you're not getting rewarded for it. You're getting two X. Okay, great. So if Bundy's going to be 67% though, if he's going to be the highest, I believe he was the highest. Yeah, he was even higher than Musgrove in cash games in $50 double-ups. If you're going to fade the highest owned guy in cash games, make sure that you don't have to win more than half the time in order to show a profit. Enter it in double, enter it in triple-ups and quintuple-ups. Many people play the same lineups in triple-ups and quintuple-ups as they do in double-ups. So that when you're right, at least you get 3x, 5x. So you don't have to be right as often. If you're going to stick with your projections and go, nope, Duffy should be in there over Bundy. Play more triple ups, play more double ups. But if you're going to just continue to just play head to heads and, and double ups, if the difference is a half a point, a point, and now you can at least play the highest on guy and, blo- and block and do that. That's that's the judgment call. That's what you would be doing if you were playing cash games. I don't play cash games. I enter cash games, but I'm I'm investing. My goal is to enter double ups and head to heads or whatever and make no decisions. I'm not playing cash games. I am taking a projection model and I am treating it like an index fund. Have you ever invested in index funds? Even actively managed index funds. I'm not talking about the van- some of the like the low end Vanguard stuff. The expense ratios, nothing. They don't do it. They're just mimicking an index. But some of these ones where it's 0.8 expense ratio. If you're invested in what like Arc, right? That's the hot thing, Kathy Wood, Arc stuff. So basically, what you're doing is like I'm investing in this exchange traded fund. Right, I'm going to invest in ARC, and ARC has all these holdings, so you get to see the percentage of all the holdings. So all the stocks, they own Tesla, they own Apple, they own whatever, whatever it is. But every day, or whatever, 
the fund manager buys and sells stuff and changes that allocation. I don't have a choice. I don't, I don't do it. I'm investing in a fund. And the better that the holdings of the fund do, and they go up and down in value, the fund goes up and down in value, the ETF. So when ARC goes up 3%, it's because the related holdings go up 3%. But the weight of those holdings and any new holdings, any new stocks, you don't get to control that. You know, you're, you're, you're investing in this other thing. You're, this whole thing as a whole, you're going, when you invest in SPY on the stock market, SPY or VU, you're investing in the S&P 500. If a new stock gets added to the S&P 500, you don't have, you don't have a choice on that. It just, it is what it is. You don't get to control any of that. So that's how I'm trading my cash play. I have a projection model. I use, I use Derek Hardy's the bat. Whatever the highest median projected lineup is, that's what I play. But my goal is to play it in an as diversified manner as possible because I'm not making the decisions. So I'm not playing like, oh, I'm going to play a whole a couple of $100 head-to-heads. It's like, no, I want to play as many contests as possible. Multiple sites. So I'm playing on DraftKings. I'm playing on FanDuel. I'm playing on Yahoo. I'm only playing 10%. I'm, I took $20,000. I said, I'm investing in this for six months. Playing 10% per day or per slide. I mean, I don't play every day. Sometimes Sundays I take off or Saturdays. I'm like, whatever that top optimal projected median lineup is, I don't have to make a decision. All I have to do is enter the contests and make zero decisions because I'm treating it like an index fund. Certain days I look at it and go, okay. And if it does well, it does bad, it doesn't matter. My stock portfolio goes down 2% today. What does it matter? I, I have no control over that. By the end of the year, maybe up 5%. So like, take, take, a look at, take a look at what happened last March. When COVID, the stock, the stock market tanked in March of last year. If you fell asleep and did nothing, if you invested in the stock market in January of 2020, and didn't even know, you wouldn't even, you'd look at your, your portfolio now and be up, I think, 16 to 20% over the course of what, a year and a half? That's great. That's great returns. Oh, did, did you know that? And I would tell you did, you, did you know in March, your portfolio went down 40%? It went down 40% and still a year and a half later, you're up almost 20% from January. But many people in March went, oh my God, I'm down 40%, whatever, who cares? But what's your time horizon on this? Same thing for my stock portfolio. My time horizon is 20 years from now. Oh, it went down 2% today. What does it matter? There's no 20 time, there's no 20 year time period of the stock market in recorded history that it's, that stocks have not been up over a 20 year time horizon. So what are you worried about? I view it the same way. That's how I play cash games. That's how I play cash games. Because I want to spend all of my time on GPPs. I don't want to have to think about all the stuff. Like, should I play this guy or that guy? Should I play this line or but that? I don't want to deal with any of it. I want it, I want it to take three seconds. It takes three seconds, enter it, and that's that's it. 
I could spend the whole hour, hour and a half, whatever, thinking about my GPP lineups. And hopefully thinking about them on multiple on multiple fucking sites. Because that's my goal. That's 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 the goal of getting more efficient. So instead of just playing GPPs on FanDuel or DraftKings on one of the sites, I can play it on both. Because now I have more time opened up. I could always just not play cash games. You're right. I can. I could just not do that. But if I want to, if I believe I could get a 4% daily return. If I think I could double my money or tri- double to triple my money, turn 20,000 over six months into 40,000, 40 to 60,000 even. Why not? If, if it takes me no time to do. In addition, that that's my goal. So I'm not on a day-to-day basis playing cash games. I'm not making that, like yesterday, if I was actively making decisions in my double-ups, I would have played I would have played Bundy over Duffy. Even though Duffy in the back projected slightly better. Because I knew Bundy was going to be chalk. Like, do I want my slate to be determined by this 1v1? It's not a 1v1, it's a 2v2, but whatever. Do I want it to be decided on that? But to the difference of a point pitching projection when the ownership between the two is going to be two to one or three to one. But you could, you could say, no, I'm, screw it. I'm taking Duffy. You're right. More likely than not, you should lean towards the side that's going to be chalky in cash games. Obviously, GPPs, you do the exact opposite. The difference between two pitchers is minuscule and the ownership difference is three to one. You take the, obviously, you take the lower own one. But because your aim is first place. In double ups, your aim is, First and 48th don't matter. They pay the same amount. Let's see. Kai Roach says, I won several $25 tickets to the 35,000 entry MMA contest this weekend. My bankroll is about 150 bucks. Well, okay. Would it be reasonable to aim more for a min or 3X cash over first since it's such a high percentage of bankroll? Then why did you, why were you in those satellites if you're not going to play to win? Thank you. Right, because I'm going to be in that contest. Thank you for building line. Like, if you want to, I should. I should be telling you that no, build those min cash lineups. Go, thank you. It helps me. I'm going to be playing lineups in that contest, and I ain't playing the min cash. So the more people that play the min cash, the easier it is for me to win first place. No, don't. You shouldn't be one. Why were you in satellites to begin with? If you're not going to play the contest, don't win. I'm going to play a negative EV lineup just for the sake of min cashing. That's stupid. Play to win. Then you shouldn't have been in tickets. You shouldn't have been in contest satellites to win $25 tickets. That's what you should be doing. That's where the equity is. You're min, trying to min cash. I'm going to stack, right, because what are you going to end up doing? You're going to stack, the, you're going to stack one in the fight. You could probably stack, you're going to take uh, like Usman, Shevchenko, and then Take like uh, stack the the Whaley, the Chang Namajunas fight or something, and then play a lineup that has a loser in it automatically. Like, like yeah, you're more likely to min cash by stacking one of the main events on that card. Probably, probably the 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 the, the second women's fight. Uh, but you can't win. You're not going to win that way. You know, that's not going to be a winning lineup. 
But then what was the point of you even playing the satellites to begin with? Jacob Calloway says first big of the year in MLB this weekend. Congratulations. Only took rewatching my content and book for a hundred plus hours. <laughs> it's the same concepts. Once you get it, once you, once you get it, once, once you get it, you get it. Once you, you don't even need me anymore. Right. You don't even have to bother. You wonder, you wonder why you never got it for five years. Like what, once you get this stuff, you start wondering like, why was I so dumb for that long? And why is this game too simple? Like it's just simple. Rob B asks, if you're playing 200 man field GPPs or smaller, do you still need to stack four to five or can you go like, depends on the lineup, obviously. You don't need to stack. You don't even need to stack at large field GPPs. That's more likely that you do. And then 200 man field GPPs, you're still playing GPPs. You're still playing a structure that progressively pays out towards first place. So correlation, sure. If you could add that, that's fine. Leverage, sure. Project, you know, that balance of projection, correlation, and leverage for that contest. Uh, Jonah Shipman makes a very good point. Well, are head-to-heads more of a triple-up type of lineup construction? In head-to-heads, having a top 5% lineup matters way more than having a top 5% lineup and a double-up. That's absolutely correct. Because it depends on how many head-to-heads that you're playing. If you're playing 50 head-to-heads, obviously the more head-to-heads that you win, the more money that you make. So if you're playing a lot of head-to-heads, having upside, having a little bit of leverage over a lot of head-to-head opponents makes you more money. This is very similar to the triple-up, quintuple-up example. I view it the same exact way. When, when, I, when I saw that Duffy was going to be in the lineup over Bundy yesterday, I didn't pull back my head-to-heads. A lot of times I will pull back a whole bunch of my head dads. Like if it doesn't get filled, right? I have 50s, I have 20s, I have 10s, I have 5s. A lot of times it's a half an hour before lock and I still have four fifty dollars head dads up there and no one's taken them, which means it's going to auto-match with whoever's in the lobby. And most of the people in the lobby are the people that, do I want to play them in head dads? But they're going to be the same people that I played in double ups anyway. But then I I look at my lineup and I go, I don't have Bundy in this lineup. So I'm more inclined to play head-to-heads than I am to play double-ups for that very reason. If I'm right on this, if Duffy outscores Bundy, I may win 90% of my head-to-heads. The double-ups, I still double up regardless, right? If I'm wrong, let's say I'm wrong, Bundy outscores Duffy. Well, now I lose the double-ups, but maybe I still win 40% of my head-to-heads. It's not all or nothing anymore. But yes, it's more beneficial. That, but that's typically what I do. So when I say like, oh, add, add triple ups and quintuple, a lot of times you can't add triple ups and quintuple ups because there just aren't as many available. It's like, oh, I know my lineup's going to be somewhat different. So let me capture some upside. And you go, let me enter all the triple ups. And there's only five of them. So it's like, how, how much volume can I get in triple ups? So it's head-to-heads act in the same way. Uh, Grant Brown asking, the optimal is basically a stack with two or three one-offs. Does it make more sense to go heavier on 3x, 5x, 10x content? Yeah. You have, you have a lot of correlation in your lineup, which means that you've just increased the variance of your lineup. Why not take advantage of playing some higher upside contest? I do the same thing. Like last night, last night in the night slate, the three game, <coughs> uh, 
the bat optimal was a 4-4. An Angels four-man and on DraftKings. An Angels four-man and a Dodgers four-man. So once I saw it was a 4-4, I'm like, this is a high-variance lineup, right? Highly correlated, whatever. Uh, still chalky. I decided to, like, I'll, I'll throw this into, like, whatever, the 33. It was There was a $33 108 man type of whatever GPP, one of the late added GPP, you know, duplicates, you know, they, they throw some in because it's not much for the, for the night slate. And I was, and I was only playing like 250 something dollars volume in that as it is and head to heads and double ups for the night slate. But I'm like, yeah, if I'm playing a four, four or whatever, like, yeah, why not throw this into a GPP? Right. I've just added tons of variants into my lineup. I mean, it is still a chalky lineup. But it's like, okay, why not throw it in? If the Dodgers and the Angels go off, I could I could win a GPP with this. Yeah, that's fine. Small percentage of my allotment on that slate, go for it. Michael Dompier, correct. When content people say, if I'm making a single entry, I would use these players sort of like a cash lineup. Don't we need more context? Like field size of the tournament? Absolutely. Single entry doesn't really... Tip- when you when you say single entry, to me the 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 variables that it connotates is ownership, not the field size. Like you say, oh, single entry contest. What I think of as a single entry contest is people that play lineups that are safe, which means the ownership gets more condensed in single entry contests. Usually, typically, I only have one lineup. I got to play the best plays, so a lot of the ownership gets bunched. Which means the leverage is different. The own it's different. If Bundy is forty eight percent in this contest, it could be seventy. Let me we did we can literally take a look with with Bundy. Let's do that. Okay, we can do that at results DB. So I'm going to go to ownership right now. What, what what contest should we be looking at? Let's look at the single entry, fence buster. Well, there's only twenty six entries into that. The battery, the 121, the 121 and the 12, right? Let's do that. The 121 and the 12. So the base hit and the battery. Well, let's look at that. Let's go get rid of all this. So we got the rally cap. We already saw that. So that's the big field, right? So 48%. So let's take a look at the battery. Battery and uh, what was the other one? The base hit, single entry. I mean, take a look at the difference in ownership. I mean, let's you should see right here. It's ten. Look, single entry battery. Bundy was sixty one percent owned versus forty eight in the large field. Fifty eight in the base hit. Look at Otani. Look at the difference. Chalkier, like way chalkier. Trout, way chalkier. So you see the difference? So like playing large field plus playing single entry has nothing to do with the field size. Like, yeah, the field size matters. But I mean, when I hear single entry, I this is what I think of. Like, dude, if I'm playing, if I was playing single entry yesterday, I'd be much more inclined to stack the Rangers. This is what I mean by being a little bit more contrarian. Because Bundy's even more owned. I'd be less inclined to play any Angels in single entry. It'd be like, well, but they're the best plays. 
Don't you play them in single entry? No. Look how much more leverage. Why am I playing a 56% don't hitter? Ever. I mean, ever. I mean, why? And, and I only have one lineup. It's not like I could play, oh, I'll have some of them. It's a single entry contest. So if I was playing single entry yesterday, I would, I would just X out Otani completely. X out Bundy. I'd play Musgrove, Duffy. Right, Brandon Belt was 40% owned. I mean, like, look, look how much leverage you could get by just playing contrarian. You played a Cardinal stack yesterday. You won in single entry. It doesn't matter. You could have had a zero in your lineup and win. Just look at the ownership. And now in the large field stuff, it's not as owned. It's still high owned, sure, but not as owned. So when you think of single entry, think of this discrepancy. Most people think it's oh, single entry, which means it's small field, which means you could play like a cash lineup. No, you're exploiting those people. That's what you should be doing. That notion, that psychological notion of, oh, it's I only have one entry and it's only a thousand entries in the contest, which means I don't have to play nutso stuff. Well, this is what ends up happening. The ownership gets even more, people get even more overowned. So be more inclined to go off the board. Doesn't mean you have to go off the board everywhere. But like in the single entry, if you just said, I'm going to play uh, Musgrove plus Duffy in a Cardinal stack and then, Maybe even play Mike Trout in that lineup. Like, that. that's fine. You're good. So what were the Cardinals owned? Like, Dijon was 16% owned. Okay, that's about the same. Goldschmidt was barely owned anywhere, right? Reapers, look, look, here you go. Twice is owned in the large field. But Goldschmidt, 3%. Edmund, look at this. Twice is less owned. Because everyone was going in single entry. Single entry. Only play one lineup. Got to play the best plays. They were going to the Angels. Edmund. Who else? I mean, like guy, someone like Williams. Justin Williams. Barely owned. 1%. Carlson. Carlson actually, actually got more ownership than I would think. 12%. Still lower in the single entry stuff. Arenado. Lower in the single entry, lower in the base hit. This is what you should be. This is how you play DFS. So if you're playing single, it, it could be in the rally cap, the large real GPP, you're like, oh, maybe I'll play some angel stacks. Maybe I'll, I could play some angel stacks. Maybe I don't play Otani and Trout as one-offs. You could still play angels, but in like the single entry stuff, because of this ownership difference, I'd be like, I just X out the angels. If they beat me, they beat me. If the angels die look how much look how many lineups are dead in this contest compared to the rally cap how many lineups had bundy otani and trout in them and will smith at 42 percent owned with the zero and brandon crawford 29 percent owned with the zero did any chalk get there not really did you need turner no did you need belt no you didn't need belt 16 you could have gotten it elsewhere Musgrove Duffy, okay. The two, the second and third most owned pitchers. But look, if you just didn't play the chalk and you're just like, I'm going to stack something else, you could have easily won this contest. You have to be willing to do it. You're going to be wrong most of the time. Nine out of 10 times, you'll be like, okay, well, that didn't work. The 10th time you win first place. So that's how you should be thinking about it. 
So when I say, this is what I say. I'm more contrarian single entry than I am in large field tournaments. So more inclined, look how much leverage you can get because the chalk is chalkier. You're exploiting the field. The field isn't wrong. They're playing the best plays. They're just playing too much of it. Especially in a game that's so high variance. Oh, let's see. Paul Adair asks, single entry, 700 entries. A two linear to just limit total lineup ownership and run a stack for projections? No, you could actually do that. Now, 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 we're, now we're starting to think how simple MLB DFS is or DFS is in general. You limit total, you, you're more likely to limit the ownership product. You could use, you could use cumulative ownership. But probably a better way is ownership product than ownership sum. But yes, I can, I can tell you there's, there, there, there are several sharper players that they don't even run, they, they run ownership projections and they just run lineups based on ownership. They don't even run lineups based on player projection at all. As long as they have accurate ownership projections, they're just like, give me, give me lineups that are within, you know, these two numbers and give me 150. Now, wherever it fits in, it fits in. And that's it. That's it. They're done. Jacob Calloway asks, before we get out of here, is there a mathematical way to convert ownership posted for large field GPPs to single entry ownership? Or do you develop a feel over time? It's more, I, it's, it's hard, it's hard to calculate. It's hard to, because you don't, it's, it's two different field types. A lot of, like, you have a lot of casuals that play the, the large field stuff. All you have to know is that the chalk tends to be chalkier. How much chalkier, who knows? Like, I would have never thought that Otani would be this much more owned in the battery. I knew Bundy would be, but Bundy, like this number, I knew if he's 48% in the rally cap, he's going to be like 60 in the battery. But maybe he, he could have been 70. Or Otani, it's like, oh, he's 34 in this, he'll probably be 42. No, 55. It's like, oh, okay. Trout's 30 in this, he'll probably be like 40, 45 in this. Okay, that's fine. Right? Is Will Smith going to be twice his own? Like, I didn't expect that. He'll be 23% here. He'll be 32% there. Nope, 42. Now, you don't know the extent in which way some of these players will go. But you just know that they're going to be chalkier. So I don't know who's playing the single entry stuff. I guess you could simulate it to some extent. But no, it's more of a, it's more of a feel thing, I guess. Dustin Norton, is 20 max large field chalk generally similar to 150 max or single entry? Yeah, typically. We have results, DB. You can see it. What was the 20 max? What was the 20 at? The moonshot? The big moon, the 25K moonshot, right? That's what we have, right? I mean, take a look at the moonshot compared to the rally cap. We'll go, I mean, is, it, is this that much different? 48 to 50. 39, 40, 34, 4. I mean, Otani was a little bit more owned. Trout was a little bit more owned. But this is not, it's not that cut. Look, look at the difference between the rally cap and the moon. Yeah, the 150 max. It's more on part of that, right? Slight, I mean, slight. I mean, look, 1330, 1339. It's for the most part on, right? Any big swings? 11 versus 14 for Iglesias or something. Like, it's not it's not that dramatic. So no, you should be training the 20 max very similar to the 150 max. Typically, the field sizes aren't all that much different anyway. But there. 
But this is strategy. We're talking about DFS stuff. We didn't talk at all about today's slate. And we didn't talk at all about who's going to do well. Because who knows? Right? Everyone has a range of outcomes. You look at the projections. You build plus EV lineups. And you hope for the best. Right? That's what you're looking to do. Exploit the field. I care more about what the field is going to do than what the players are going to do. So if I know what the field, what my opponents are going to do, I know exactly how to exploit that. And over the course of 180 slates, over course, a long period of time, I'm going to be profitable. That's that's playing DFS. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. So give me a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Hit the thumbs up button on your way out this morning. Hit the subscribe button. If you're new here, hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got a lot of content today. Starting at like four o'clock or so, again NBA, MLB, riding through through crunch time. I believe I believe it's free today. Normally, it would be paid, which you could sign up for Roto Grinders Premium by clicking on the link in the description, getting ten dollars off your first month. And I'm always in the Discord, so you could always ask me questions there. The Premium Roto Grinders Discord. But uh, other than that, I'll be I'll, I'll be back as I normally am on weekdays. 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern, for another edition of the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com.